What is going on, everybody? It's Thea Sam here. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within. And wow, do we ever have a treat for you today. We are featuring Deborah Fileta on the podcast. Deborah is one of the best known relationship bloggers in Christian circles. She has had a resource called truelovedates.com for just under 10 years. And in that time, she has written best-selling books. She has been able to grow a podcast, a following on Instagram. She has been featured on Focus on the Family. I mean, the list goes on. This is one of the most accomplished young women that you will meet in the space. And she actually has a huge passion for helping people with sexual issues, pornography, lust, and everything that comes with it. And so this was a really rich conversation, very far-reaching. We talked about everything under the sun in the context of relationships, a special emphasis on marriage because we had uh, Tavares Gray from Godly Dating 101 where we focused a little bit more on single-based content. And so today we talk about, you know, what to do, uh, how to uh, agree on things to do in sex in a marriage, you know, when maybe the the husband wants to do something the wife's not comfortable with or vice versa. Uh, We talked a little bit about what it looks like to really have a lasting marriage and what are some of the key tenets of that. Uh, We talked a little bit about what are some things that people should really be going after when they get into marriage. And, you know, the one thing I'm realizing is I I'm new in marriage. I'm only three years in. And so I definitely have that of like, okay, teach me. Like, what are the things I need to know? But we have people reach out who are like, you know, I've been married for 40 years and I'm just learning this right now. And so I I don't think it, uh, even though those questions were not really targeting people that are new, it's applicable for everyone. And sometimes you just need a reminder. And sometimes you're hearing things for the first time. Deborah is a crystal clear communicator, so you're going to get a lot of nuggets here and just a lot of insight that is going to, um, I think, probably recalibrate a couple things in your heart and in your head regarding uh, marriage and what it looks like to really do this in a healthy way. And I think you're going to get some inspiration as well for what it could look like to have a really thriving, godly marriage that is, you know, full of healthy communication, a lot of fun together, and good sex as well. All those things very important. So without further ado, guys, let's jump in. This is my interview with Deborah Fileta. So here's the million dollar question. How are men like us who work hard, have good motives, and a God-given purpose supposed to fulfill the calling on our lives and the dreams in our hearts, all while establishing sexual integrity, thriving relationships, and a meaningful connection with God? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Sathya Sam. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within. Great. Well, I'm here with Deborah Faleda, and what a pleasure it is to have you, Deborah. I've been following your stuff for a long time, and you are uh, probably one of the most well-balanced messages that I've seen online. So it's an honor to have you here. Thanks so much for carving out some time. Well, thank you. That's really kind to hear. Yeah, and it's been fun. We're working together a little bit behind the scenes on a resource right now to help more people with pornography and sexual issues, and we'll definitely talk a little bit more about that in another segment. But I'm excited today to double down on uh, marriage, sex, all that kind of stuff, because I think we know these are subjects that in the Christian world have just not been super well covered. Uh, Sometimes they're blanketed, or sometimes we get specific on details that aren't actually super important. Right. I guess I want to start by maybe asking you if you're talking to a couple that's engaged, getting ready for marriage, what would be your top pieces of advice for like, here are some things you can do that are going to set you up really well when you do get into married life? Yeah. You know, I think a lot of times we forget to look at our blind spots and our problem spots. I think sometimes this season of engagement 
is more about wedding prep than it is about marriage prep. Wow. Yeah. And we talk so much about the flowers, the decor, the, you know, the, the peripheral things about having this great wedding day, but we're really not taking the time to invest in building our marriage and building a healthy marriage and seeing the importance of that. So I would say, first of all, you've got to reframe your expectation of the engagement season. Like this is about wedding prep, but it's mostly about marriage prep. Yeah. And so um, what does it look like to have some of these harder conversations and reveal some layers that you might not have revealed in dating? Um, Dating is a season of discovery and investigation, but engagement is the season now where you're starting to build that intimacy and really uh, discover who you are and, and connect in ways that you may not have before. So I would, I guess if I had to summarize it, I'd say it's a season of doing the work and being honest with some of the problem spots that we might have that we haven't discussed or faced yet. Yeah, it's really, really good. What what do you observe happens to people when they do get married? Because I think, well, at least for me, when I was growing up, you know, it was like, yeah, don't have sex before marriage. Don't watch porn, you know, just like keep your boundaries really tight and then you get married and it's bliss. And I think um, in hindsight, you know, I wish somebody would have coached me a little bit through the first couple of years of marriage. Uh, not that they were super challenging for my wife and I necessarily, but it's a really steep learning curve. Mm-hmm. And I think there's, you know, you run into issues with sex uh, that people never, you know, warned you about, uh, communication, you know, and sometimes it's just more basic things, running the house and finances and gender right. roles and all that stuff. Right. What are some of the issues you observe in your client base? Uh, you, you guys reach so many people, but what are some of the issues that always come up in those more early years of marriage? Well, I'll say two things. The first is the myth that just because you wait, everything's going to be great. Mm. You know, just because you wait to have sex or just because you don't watch porn or just because you, um, you know, try to do things a certain way that somehow you're going to get into marriage and it's going to be amazing and perfect and good. And the honeymoon is going to be magical and there's going to be fireworks and sparks and (laughs) you're going to have sex 20 times in a couple of days. Like we have such unrealistic expectations. And I think what we need to understand is that we don't wait because of what it will do for us in the relationship. We wait because of what it's doing within us, the way that it's building our character, our discipline, our self-control, our obedience, our reliance on the Lord, our trust. I mean, we're we're doing a transformative work inside of us. It's not because it guarantees the fireworks on our honeymoon night. So I think we have to have realistic expectations of what is actually happening and why it is that we're waiting. Mm. But then I also see the flip side of the spectrum where people are struggling in engagement Um, or in dating with porn, for example. I've worked with so many people who are like, yeah, I am struggling with porn now, but it's because I'm not married yet. And the second I get married, I know this isn't going to be a struggle anymore because I can have sex whenever I want. (laughs) That is so far from reality. And I don't think people realize that marriage is not the fix to our intimacy problems. Because as counselors, we, we know that deep down our struggle with sex and our struggle with porn or sexual behaviors is actually an intimacy problem is actually a a problem in our ability to connect in healthy ways. And that doesn't magically disappear when we get into marriage. So I just think having healthy conversations, just like we're having here sets us up for having realistic expectations of what to expect in marriage and realizing that the work that we begin 
before marriage will be the work that carries us through in marriage as well. It doesn't stop, you know? That's so good. Yeah. Yeah. We say that marriage is the great magnifier, right? Like if it's a problem beforehand, it's just going to be a bigger problem after. And I, I think we've witnessed that for sure in our clients. So uh, I like that you went there. You know, if somebody does have porn in the mix, I want to kind of double down on this a little bit. Um, let's say engaged or early stages of marriage. Um, how do people broach this conversation well? So we have male and we have female listeners. And I know the, the female listeners especially are trying to understand what does their role like, what does it look like when, you know, their husband or their fiance is struggling, they want to be supportive, and there's not always tons of counsel there. Um, so I'm wondering if you can maybe talk to that side, but talk to the male side as well. How should men be sharing this with women appropriately? Yeah, and, and let's just let's just put this out there. Porn is a female problem too. True. And yeah. so we want to make sure that whichever side you fall, whether you're the person struggling or whether you're the person who's not necessarily struggling, let me tell, let me remind you that we each come to the table with our own set of struggles. Hmm. Um, the struggle might be with porn. It also might be with shopping. It might be with food. It might be with whatever. And so I think having the humility to know that we all come to the table with struggles and baggage is the first place to begin because otherwise uh, we don't know how to receive the other person's struggle. And we might have a more judgmental attitude towards the struggle if we don't also realize that we've all got something that we're dealing with. We're yeah. all on a journey of becoming better people and better Christians and becoming more like Jesus and this evolution that we're on. Um, but I do think with that heart, it's easier to say, okay, let's just bring to the table our struggles. Like, what are your struggles? What are my struggles? What do we need to work on as we approach this wedding? If we want our marriage to be healthy, we've got to be healthy as individuals. So let's take inventory of our personal health together. What does it look like to get you to a healthy place? Maybe you struggle with anxiety that's unmanaged and I struggle with porn that's unmanaged. We've got to get to the roots and get ourselves to a healthy place. And I think yeah. having that perspective that we're in this together, we're a team in the fact that we're both working on our individual healing. Yeah, I'm not trying to heal you and you're not trying to heal me. We are working on our individual healing, but we're doing it alongside of each other. To me, that's the most mind-blowing, beautiful picture of marriage. We're on this journey as, as individuals, but we're on the journey together. And so mm -hmm. when you when you have that type of an attitude it sets the foundation for these conversations to happen in a grace-filled way, but it also sets the foundation for these conversations to happen where we're challenging each other, not enabling each other. Like we are on this journey moving towards healing. So in light of that, you know, I, it's funny because I, I feel like the this conversation isn't a once and done thing. Um, we have to work on really getting comfortable with sharing our struggles. And I think that's part of the process of engagement, yeah. learning how to get comfortable with, with discussing what's going on underneath the surface. Yeah, I really agree. Um, my parents are marriage coaches and they talk about how they don't believe in marriage problems. They believe in people with individuals that have their problems that come into a marriage. And I think, you know, it's not to say, they're not actually saying marriage problems don't exist, but what they are saying is exactly what you just said. You have to start with the individual and work on your own stuff. And that beauty of doing it in conjunction is where you start to get healthy relationships. What about if one person 
says, yes, Deborah, I'm with you. I'm going to work on my stuff. But they're in a, in a relationship with somebody else who is not of the same mindset, maybe thinks that the issue is all in one direction or for whatever reason, they're not willing to go there. What can somebody do to handle that appropriately? Well, first, it really depends on if you're dating or you're engaged or you're True. married, right? <laughs> yes. Let's assume they're married. Yeah. You know, if, if you're married, I always say this. You can't change your spouse, but you can change yourself, which will influence your spouse. Mm. You change how you react and respond. You change the expectations that you're bringing to the table. You change with the boundaries that you're setting with the fact that you're taking ownership and not being passive, that you're communicating your needs. I mean, there's so much that we can do to change ourselves, which then begins to influence the relationship. And I think that's really where we have to begin in the marriage setting. Yeah. In a dating setting, it's different because you said it a minute ago and I agree with you. Dating reveals. Dating is the magnifying glass. Dating is the x-ray that's kind of showing us what is going on that's going to be amplified then and and magnified even greater in marriage. So if I'm already seeing problem spots in dating, and I'm already seeing that somebody is not willing to engage the journey that I want to go on, I think that's a red flag. Uh, You know, I I really believe it's a red flag. And, And you have not entered a covenant relationship with that person. You're still in the season of investigation and figuring out, is this a person that's going to be a good match for my life or not? So If you're in in dating and you're already starting to see that resistance, I do believe that it's a glaring red flag. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree as well. So, okay, we were talking about, um, you know, what happens when you're having those conversations about your struggle, whether it's porn, whether it's something else. Uh, One of the things that I'm observing a lot in our client base is the devastating impacts of programming of the mind that porn is having, um, not just in like the objectification of women and impulse control or lack thereof those are some obvious things but then you know when you get into the more personal areas of someone's life like their sex life you see that uh, guys especially i would say are expecting women to do certain things that they don't feel comfortable doing and sometimes they don't feel comfortable doing it because of their own trauma their own experiences and sometimes Mm -hmm. it's just downright you know crossing a line Um, what about those conversations what does it look like to have those in a healthy way and do you believe that there's a, a firm line in a marriage where it's like once you're married, this is the line where this should never happen. Um, or is it is it a matter of more than figuring out together where each person is comfortable and somehow meeting halfway? Yeah, I don't I don't know that I would say meeting halfway when it comes to this subject. Um, and I don't even know how much I would say about meeting halfway in, in life in general. Like there's the the minor things. Yeah. Um, but sometimes meeting halfway, neither of you actually gets what you want or need. Right. So less than that, I, I, you know, I would say this is about having a conversation so that we can be on the same page. Uh, what does it look like to be on the same page in this area? First of all, I think you're right. Let's acknowledge porn messes with our heads. Porn messes with our expectations of what sex is going to be like. And the more we expose ourselves to an unrealistic version of sex, the more disappointed we are with the realistic version of sex. It doesn't fill us. It doesn't satisfy us because we are fixated on this unhealthy expectation. It's like I went on this journey of eliminating sugar from my diet for 40 days. Wow. 
and all, all refined sugar, like nothing with the fake stuff, you know, like the, 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 the cane sugar, nothing. The only thing that I was allowed to have was fruit and natural sugar in that regard. And so, you know, in the beginning, it's like you, you, you kind of start to have this withdrawal and you kind of miss it. And the cupcakes look amazing. And just that cookie, <laughs> like I, I'm dying for it. But the more you discipline yourself and, 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 and not just discipline, it's not an external discipline. It's also an internal, like, what is this sugar doing for me? Why do I need it? What is it feeling? How is it comforting me? What, where's this craving rooted in? The more I began to eliminate that from my life, the more freedom I had. And let me tell you, eating a piece of fruit at the end of that 40 days, it was like, it, it could have come from the Garden of Eden. It was like the <laughs> best tasting fruit ever. And that's because I eliminated the junk. I eliminated the toxic sugar. So that natural, right. real sugar from, from a piece of fruit was just so good. And I truly believe it's the same type of thing when it comes to sex and in marriage. When we are filling ourselves with the junk, the the toxic stuff, it is taking away from our desire and ability to enjoy the good stuff, the real, true, beautiful, natural, good stuff. And in a way, we are robbing ourselves of the joy and pleasure of healthy intimacy and sex and marriage. Yeah. And so not only are our expectations totally skewed, but then we're robbing ourselves of true joy. And so I, I really think it's important for us to have this perspective, because if we don't have a healthy perspective on how it's actually affecting us and in, in our relationship, uh, then we continue to engage in these unhealthy cycles without realizing what we're doing. Yeah, it's a really good point. So I, I know for me in my marriage, um, connection is like the plumb line. That's the thing I'm always thinking of when, you know, we're in conflict or whatever it is. I'm always trying to think, how do I, well, usually I'm trying to think, how do I cater my behaviors to some way, you know, foster connection, facilitate connection. Um, and you said something earlier, which I, I really do agree with, like porn addiction ultimately is an intimacy disorder. You know, it's people not getting that need met appropriately. What does it look like when people are married? Um, they're having sexual issues. Let's say like it's low sex in the marriage or they can't agree on what they're comfortable with doing and not doing or, or something of the, to that effect. What does it look like to actually get your need for intimacy met in a healthy way? Because I think a lot of people make the mistake of defining intimacy as sex in a marriage, right. which we know isn't true. Um, but I think a lot of people do find themselves in these situations. Admittedly, like sex, of course, still is a part of the equation at the same time. How do you still get those needs met when, you know, you're running into some difficulty? I, I would say especially in the sex life. Yeah, I, I think it's important to remember that what you do above the sheets fuels what happens under the sheets. <laughs> um, you know, I talked to you a little while ago about a book that I wrote called Married Sex. And, and there's an entire section in that book. It's a book about sex, but really it's so much deeper than that. It's about emotional connection, relational connection, spiritual connection, mm. and the power of who you're becoming and what you're doing above the sheets, because emotional connection is a huge need, not just for females. I think sometimes males and, and certain males specifically, I, I know a lot of times we stereotype men are like this, women are like this, but generally sure. speaking, I think a lot of men use sex to fill some sort of an emotional need that they don't even realize it's it's filling a need to feel connected and to feel close 
Um, and, and so whether you're male or female, you cannot separate the power of emotional connection in the, in the picture of sexual intimacy. And I think there's seasons when we might be even struggling sexually, but sometimes that struggle actually points to a deficit in how we're connecting emotionally and relationally. I think sometimes the struggles underneath the sheets are actually a symptom of what's happening in other parts of our relationship, what's happening above the sheets. And, and maybe that struggle can actually begin to be the catalyst of what helps us realize, you know what, we've got some things we need to work on. It's not just about trying to have better sex, but, but what are we struggling in? Are there, is there unconfessed sin? Are we not connecting? Are we having an unhealthy cycle of interaction and communication? Are we both feeling really empty and depleted and trying to fill up, but realizing that, you, we can't fill each other up. We're, we're falling short. Like what yeah. is going on underneath the surface here that we need to figure out and deal with in a healthy way? Because so much of sexual intimacy is actually about emotional connection and intimacy as well. Yeah. Sexual in- intimacy is kind of like the cherry on top, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And now don't get me wrong. Sometimes it's a purely physical issue. You right. know, sometimes it's something that my body is not reacting um, neurologically, there's something going on or even um, just just straight up physically. But but I find that to be a very narrow percentage of people. Usually it's that and there's other things going on yeah. to, to kind of create the struggle. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So this is kind of, I guess, tied into what we're talking about, but it certainly goes broader. And that's the concept of boundaries which I think um, in your messaging, like I read your blog, I've listened to your podcast, and I know this subject comes up quite a bit, regardless of the context, whether it's dating or marriage or in between. Can you talk a little bit about, I guess, what it looks like to set healthy boundaries in a relationship? And um, I would say especially in a marriage, because I think that is where the lines can get very blurry, especially Mm -hmm. when you start raising a family together and your lives just start to integrate more as time goes on. What what does it look like to set healthy boundaries? And how would you talk to somebody who's just saying, I don't know how to set boundaries. I feel bad. I feel like I can't say no, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I I was just talking to somebody recently at just about this exact subject and the the inability to say no uh really rooted in a desire to not disappoint people or um a desire to be there for people a desire to put others first and i think sometimes we mistake selflessness for passivity we're actually being passive we're stuffing our needs, we're stuffing our desires in the name of selflessness, but really we're just passive people that have never learned what it looks like to be assertive, say what we need in a respectful way, take care of our needs, care for ourselves, tend to ourselves. And I think that passivity really comes out in marriage oftentimes because we 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 disguise it as selflessness. We think we're doing this for Jesus. But deep down, we've got bitterness and resentment that's harboring because my spouse isn't giving me what I need. Mm. That's when boundaries are so important. Boundaries are your ability to recognize what you need and speak what you need. Boundaries are your ability to care for yourself and protect yourself. Boundaries are your ability to keep the good things in your marriage and the unhealthy things out of your marriage. 
Right. And so there's a responsibility there for each of us to kind of take ownership of what we need and how we're expressing those needs. I, I just talked to someone recently who's struggling with their sex life in marriage because she is struggling to express what she really needs emotionally. She just mm-hmm. doesn't, she, it's not how their marriage works. And so you got to take both of them and sit down with them and explain like, what does it look like for us to be healthy in this area? How do you set boundaries when things aren't going well? What do you, what can you say no to? How, how safe is it to say no in this relationship? Right. Are, are you able to speak what you need and how is that received and having these really important conversations? But I think if anything, you're listening to this today, I want to ask you this. Are you actually being selfless or is it really passivity and there's bitterness and resentment brewing underneath the surface? There's emptiness a lack mm. of fulfillment because you are not speaking honestly about what you need. Yeah. Is there anything practical for somebody who's like, okay, Deborah, you got me. I am that person and I know I need to speak more assertively. What what does it look like for somebody who wants to exercise this muscle a little bit and grow in this area? You know, I, I think first of all, we have to get to the root of why we do it. You know, sure. what what is this meat? What is this? Um, doing for me? What is this fulfilling? Like, why do I have a hard time saying no or saying what I need? And of course, that's a story for another day because that's where counselors come in and help you get to some of those roots that probably started from childhood. It's probably mm-hmm. been serving you to, to remain silent or to remain quiet or try not to cause chaos or rock the boat. It's probably served you in different seasons of life, but now it's sabotaging you. Mm-hmm. So once you can get to the roots and then you begin building upon that and and recognizing that saying no is not a bad thing. Um, because every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. You, you might be even saying no to your own needs. Yeah. So what does it look like for you to begin um, setting limits, saying no, saying I prefer not to do that? Actually, I really think we need to deal with this first. I'm struggling with feeling emotional disconnect right now, and I really think we need to to take some time to talk through that. I'm feeling hurt by what you said. And I want to make sure that we have time to discuss it. Like, what does it look like for you to begin taking those steps to share what you need? And I think it looks different for each person yeah, depending on the context. Um, but even when you're exhausted and tired and de- feeling depleted, like to be able to say, I'm feeling depleted and here's what I need. Like, mm-hmm. Here's what would help me. But the first step before you start doing those peripheral things is to actually figure out why it is that you do this and why it is that boundaries and expressing needs are so difficult. Yeah. So let's say somebody does start to dig in and um, maybe before they can even actually get to the root, it turns out there's just a bunch of bitterness and resentment that's built up in the relationship. How do you talk people down from that that ledge, so to speak, where you know something has been built up and pent up over time? I always put it back in their court. Hmm. It's so much easier to to blame the spouse for my bitterness and resentment if they would only do this, if they would only recognize what I need, if they were only able to dot dot dot. But when you have no role in the situation, you also have no control. I know it feels better to give the role to the person; like they just need to do things better. But if you have no role, you can't affect the situation. You can't change the situation. So understanding that your role is yours. Like what is my role in changing the dynamic of our relationship? 
What is my role in expressing my needs? What has, what have I done to this point to cause some of that underlying bitterness and resentment? Because I haven't expressed myself because I've waited too long because I've kept stuffing and stuffing and stuffing my needs and not sharing them because I didn't want to cause a fight or because I didn't want to cause chaos or disappointment or stress, or I don't want to be vulnerable, whatever it is, it starts with taking ownership. Like you cannot move forward if you're constantly looking at your spouse to fix things, or you're constantly looking at your marriage to change. I think sometimes we use the marriage as a scapegoat. Here's what we need to change in the marriage. Hmm. It's so much easier to say than here's what I need to change in me. Right. But when you can do that, it begins to shift everything. It begins Hmm. to change the dynamic. It begins to move you into a healthier place. Um, and in, even in cases where there's unhealthy dynamics in the relationship, you moving to a healthy place gets you to a healthy place. Hmm. And so at the end of the day, it's a win-win when you're moving yourself to a better, healthier place, even if you end up taking that journey alone. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. That was worth the interview, I think, for those last couple of statements alone. That was really, really helpful. Um, I, I know that you know when you do start to get to the roots, it is always unique to the individual. There's no cookie cutter approach. There's no such thing as like, oh, these are the symptoms. Here's probably what the root is. It, it takes that that time and that effort before you really carve it out. But I am curious, are there any particular trends that you observe in people today? I just feel like we're in very unique times. Um, I would say in our clients, you know, when we do get to some of their more root and causal issues, there's there's always some fundamentals, you know, like there's always nuances to it depending on the individual. Uh, but generally, you do start to observe some patterns. Is there anything like that for you, especially in this area, I guess, when people are having a hard time with boundaries? Uh, that's something we encounter a lot. Anything in particular that you notice uh, more underneath the surface? Yeah. So so even just taking this example of setting healthy boundaries, you know, um, it's funny because a lot of people think that just starting to set boundaries is going to be the answer to a lack of boundaries, but it's not. Um, like you and I discussed, you can't just change the the external without changing the internal and expect the external to stick. Yeah, sure. You can clear your schedule. You can start saying no. You can be a little bit more assertive, but you're going to fall right back into your default mode if you don't figure out where those things are rooted in. And I think a lot of times, you know, they're rooted in different things, like you said, for different people. I mean, so many different things. I think of one gentleman I I worked with who was on complete empty and a pastor of a thriving community, but, but feeling totally empty because he never has really learned to set boundaries and care for himself. Mm. And when we dig back into his history, he learned to repress his needs because his father, his stepfather was really abusive and, and loud and controlling, and he didn't want to rock the boat. So if you don't want chaos, you just stay quiet. You don't say anything. You, right. you hold it in and just get through it. And so he, even after coming to Jesus, he still defaulted to suppressing his emotions because I don't want chaos. I don't want to be in trouble. I don't want the attention on me because it's negative attention. So I'm just going to stuff my needs. You know, another young woman that I worked with who is having such a hard time setting boundaries, you know, we start digging into her history and she's the eldest of five kids. She's her parents got a divorce and she's kind of become the middleman. She's taking care of her mom's needs, taking care of her dad's needs, taking care of her siblings needs. They need her at work. They need her in ministry. 
And she has learned that her value comes from what she gives to everybody. Hmm. So she just gives and gives and gives and gives and never stops to take the time to fill up, to take the time to receive. She doesn't even feel like she can do that. So, so when you spend so much of your life giving and giving and giving, and that's where you get your value, you're going to get to a point where you're completely empty and you have no boundaries and you don't know where to turn. Hmm. And, and so two different people who end up at a place of burnout and emptiness and not feeling like they're really doing okay, but for completely different reasons. Um, but, but, but that's what I'm talking about with getting to the roots of why you do what you do, even if it's as basic as something like boundaries in your marriage, boundaries in your relationship, like there are roots. And I think sometimes people say, well, doesn't the Bible say to, you know, forget what is behind and just move towards what is ahead. You know, they quote that passage in Philippians, but when you actually look at that passage, Paul wasn't talking about his trauma in that passage. He was talking about his triumphs, his accolades, his successes. He's not talking about forgetting your past trauma. He's talking about forgetting all of the pride and and clinging to Jesus. Our trauma holds us back because oftentimes we're believing things based on our trauma rather than based on God's truth. Mm. And that's a journey. Um, a journey that some of you maybe have been on, a journey that some of you listening have never been on, and you're struggling with the same things over and over and over again, trying right. to do these external things to fix it. I'm going to put a, a filter on. I'm going to have a date night with my wife. I'm going to try not to watch R-rated movies. I'm going to you know, not look at porn on my phone. And you keep defaulting back to the same old things, the same old things. It's because there are deeper things going on underneath the surface that God is longing to spotlight yeah. so that you can be healed from the inside out. And I, I truly believe that the work is so worth it. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I agree. I totally agree. I cannot imagine the person that I would be or the things I would be doing or maybe not doing if it weren't for the inner work that I've done the last 10, 12 years. Um, so, yes, I totally agree. Let me ask you, you brought up the faith part, and I'm really glad you did. That's a perfect segue into the next question I want to ask, which is, how does God fit into this process of getting to the root of issues, but then on the other side, healing and recovering and becoming that person he made you to be? How do you observe, um, I guess I'm kind of wondering even like the more granular elements of it. Is it people hearing God's voice? Is it people just read their Bible more and the dots connect? I'm being a little bit cheeky, obviously, but you know what, what is it in the faith element that really helps people facilitate the healing journey? You know, when I'm working with clients, one of the things that I have them do as part of their healing journey is take a look back, but not just take a look back, take a look back, inviting the Holy Spirit at work in you as an adult to inform what happened long ago. You can't change what happened to you, but you can change your perspective on what happened to you, which changes the outcome in the here and now. When I start mm -hmm. to look at things differently, it, there's a domino effect. It begins shifting my beliefs about who I am and who people are and who God is and and, and starting to, to change some of that perspective that otherwise was rooted in trauma, but now I'm rooting it in truth. So so practically what that means is we look back at some of these experiences 
through the lens of God's perspective. Sure, you felt shame back then. What would God say? What does God really believe? What does God want you to believe as that seven-year-old going through that hard time, feeling like you can't express your needs because if you do, it's going to cause chaos. Like, What is God's perspective over you? Now that you're a grown person, you have a different mm-hmm. perspective. You are empowered to look back. I call it reparenting. You can begin to look back and reparent yourself by speaking those things into your past that nobody spoke to you before, correcting some of those lies that you believed that nobody helped correct, helped you correct before and going back with, 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 with God's help, with the help of the Holy spirit and adjusting some of those false beliefs that came out of some of those hard experiences, replacing them with God's truth truly paves the way for freedom. And I've experienced that in my own life. I'm not just saying this, For clients, I have truly experienced this in my own life. And I was able to go back and shine a light on some of those dark places and change my perspective with God's help. It freed me here and now. It freed me in the present. Wow, come on. Would you be comfortable? Is there any um, examples you could give from your personal journey? I have a a very clear example that comes to my mind. So this, this isn't an example of, you know, pornography or anything like that, but I, I wrote a book called, are you really okay about my own personal journey of healing? And I went through a traumatic miscarriage where I almost lost my life. And I got rushed to emergency surgery because I was hemorrhaging. And the doctor told me I was minutes away from dying minutes. And so when you go through trauma, that stuff comes back a little bit later, maybe not right away. Cause in trauma, you're kind of trying to survive. But later on, when life is safe and secure, sometimes that trauma comes back out. It's like, okay, time to deal with me now. And I went through a series of panic attacks where I would start to feel a little lightheaded. And when I went to emergency surgery, I was feeling lightheaded. So my body remembered, wait a second, you've been through this before. You must be in danger. This isn't, and it would overreact. I'd have this panic attack reaction whenever my body was feeling a little bit off Hmm. that was actually rooted in my past trauma. Because every time I felt something strange in my body, my body would automatically think worst case scenario from what I had been through before. And so I remember one day specifically having these flashbacks of just like having a moment where these traumatic flashbacks were just coming at me of all these hard things I had been through and tears streaming down my face and just out of desperation, asking God to help me speak into this. Like, wow, what do I do with this? I almost died. Life is so unstable. I have no control. I could die at any second. Like, how can you even live when you don't know what's what tomorrow holds? Like so much yeah. anxiety. And I remember God speaking in to, to me in that moment and and with a lighthearted response, almost like a chuckle, I, I felt God in my spirit say, you didn't almost die. Just because the doctor said you almost died doesn't mean that was truth. That was your trauma. That wasn't my truth. The mm-hmm. truth was I had you in my hands. The truth mm-hmm. was you cannot depart from this earth until I say it's time. Like, (laughs) do not believe the trauma over my truth. Wow. And I truly believe that my ability to to cling to God's word and his truths and who he was, was what allowed him to speak to me in the first place and, and just shift my perspective on that experience. I couldn't change what happened to me. 
but my perspective changed and that changed everything. And within just a short period of time, my panic attacks, and and of course I was doing counseling and I had medication when I needed it, like all of these things. But through the course of time, my perspective shift started changing my traumatic response. And I was able to be free from some of those panic symptoms in the present. Yeah. So all I'm saying is sometimes (laughs) we work so hard to, to get ourselves to a healthy place in the present when really we first need to go backward in order to be freed to move forward, whether that's with our sexual past, whether it's from shame and abuse from childhood, it doesn't even have to be huge trauma. We call it little T traumas in counseling, just little experiences that pile up over time mm. that begin to impact our beliefs about ourselves, about others, about God, and all of those unhealthy or negative beliefs then impact our behaviors. Yeah, And so sometimes the best thing we can do is go back in order to be able to move forward. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Thanks for sharing. That's a really powerful example. So if somebody is um, wanting to do this, they want to get to the roots, maybe they, they do have some traumas or they know they're at least caught in a cycle and they need to get some extra help. I think in today's day and age, there's never been more solutions actually at people's fingertips, whether it's online therapy, counseling, programs, courses, podcasts, books, the list kind of goes on. But let's assume that somebody does say, I I do want to actually work with somebody. What are some things that people should be looking for when they're selecting a professional to get some help? Well, I think first and foremost, um, somebody who's a licensed counselor is a really important thing Mm -hmm. because we've done the training and the work and the years of experience to help people. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's one thing I would recommend. I would also recommend somebody who is a, a professing Christian, because I do think that having faith takes healing to a holistic level. It's not just your body or your emotions or your mind. It's also your spirit and they all work together. What does that look like? So a licensed counselor, who's also a Christian. Um, I also think it's important to realize that just like with anything else in life, it's, it is about finding a good match. Sometimes you might start the process with somebody that might not be the best match for you. That doesn't mean the experience or the counseling isn't for you. It yeah. just means that maybe you need to find somebody who's a good match for you that works with your personality type and your yes. style. And, and, and very good point. And so just because the first time isn't the right match, just like with finding a church or finding a spouse or dating, like, You've got to try different options sometimes before you land on the right fit. And so I just want people not to be scared away from that um, if it's if it's not the right fit in the beginning. Yeah, that's really good. Could you cast some vision for because I know you have a, a network and you have a team of uh, professionals now that are trained under you um, and are kind of under your care. If somebody were to work with one of them, give, give them an idea of what, number one, what they could expect. And then I know guy brain tends to wonder, like, how long is this going to take? And, yeah. um, you know, all that kind of stuff. Could, could you kind of cast a little bit of vision for what that process looks like with you guys? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's different for each person, depending on their needs and what they're bringing to the table and how extensively they want to work on things. But I think one thing is I've I've kind of trained my my counselors to try to get to the roots as efficiently and effectively as possible. Yeah. Um and so what you'll expect is you'll 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 sign up with one of our counselors, you'll look at their bios 
find somebody that matches your area based on their specialties. You'll read their bio and like, okay, this person seems like they match my style. I like their, their approach. I like their, the way that they're talking about healing and you'll choose somebody, you'll book a session with them. You'll have a 50 minute appointment. And during that time, you'll kind of unpack your goals and what you want to work on, what you're struggling with. And they'll help you come up with a game plan of a things you need to work on in the present, but B areas that may need healing from the past. Like we'll do this in collaboration. It's not just about the here and now, but it's not just about the past either. We've Mm. got to kind of do both of these things together to help you get to a healthy place. And um, I truly feel that within five to eight sessions, somebody could be at a much better place Yeah, um, because that's a lot of, of, of perspective shift and work, but it's not just about that 50 minute session. It's also about the homework and the work that you're putting in, in between sessions. And so they'll give you things to work on and things to think through and um, activities and exercises to kind of help you in the interim as well. Uh, and, and start getting you to a place that you're proud of, a, a, a place that you, you're feeling healthy, a place that you're thriving. And I also think the last thing I want to say about this is that healing is not linear. It's not like if you're imagining a mountain, we're not just climbing up, 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 up to the top of the mountain. It's more cyclical. You're going around and then around again. And each time around, you're getting a little further up the mountain. But sometimes you're at the same spot and you're seeing the same scenery and you're like, wait, I I thought I, I thought I was getting better, but I guess I'm not. Healing is cyclical. Mm. And, and and even if you're going through similar things, that doesn't mean that you're not in a new layer of healing, a higher wow. level of healing that God is doing in your life. So just because you find yourself struggling with something similar doesn't mean that you're going backward. I mm. truly believe it means that God is challenging you into a next layer of healing, making you more like Jesus along the way. So don't be scared of the process. That's so good. Yeah. And I imagine there's another layer to that metaphor, which is that early on, any kind of recovery feels like a bit of a slog, right? Like if you're at the base of a mountain, it takes a long time to get around that first time. But there is a great momentum that happens as you keep doing it and doing it. And you really can start to see things change pretty quickly. But sometimes it takes a while before you can even just get the momentum going, right? You're absolutely right. And if you think about it, I mean, let's say it took you 30 years of your best efforts to get to this place. Like it shouldn't surprise you that it's going to take a little bit of time to get yourself to a better place. So so have realistic expectations and have grace with yourself along the journey. Yeah, yeah. This has been amazing, Deborah. Uh, And I know people are going to want to connect with you, uh, maybe take some more of your content in. What would be some ways that people can do that? Yeah. So the best way to connect with me as well as the Counselors Network is by going to DebraFileta.com. My last name is F-I-L-E-T-A. So DebraFileta.com. The Counselors Network is DebraFileta.com slash counseling. And I love connecting on Instagram. That's one of my favorite places to hang out these days. So you can find me at Deborah Faleda on Instagram as well. You got it. We'll put links to all that in the show notes. Thank you so much, Deborah. This has been awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. Well, I don't know about you, but I learned a lot in that episode and I hope that you were taking some notes. Um, really quickly, I just want to mention that Deborah does have a counselor network that she is promoting quite a bit. You heard her talk about it. And this is a great place if you're like, you know, Cynthia, I 
have done some courses. I've tried filters. Uh, maybe you're taking in some good material through you know, podcasts like these and books, but you ultimately know that you really need to sit down one-on-one with somebody who's licensed, somebody who's specialized in this area, and somebody who's going to be able to just give you that concentrated time and energy to resolve root issues and, and earlier parts of ch- you know childhood trauma and whatever it might be. This is a really good place to go. Um, I'm just getting to know Deborah, but in the short time I've gone to know her, I've been really impressed and I really do believe you would benefit from her counselors network so we'll put a link in the show notes uh she's on instagram as well she posts some great material there and then there's deborahfileta.com there's truelovedates.com it just depends on what you're after and she was actually sharing with me on a different call recently that you know she started focusing on dating but really she covers the whole gamut now so if um if you're looking for anything in the arena of relationships emotional well-being just healthy christianity you're gonna find some great stuff uh with her books with her uh her blog and her podcast and all that stuff. So all the links are in the show notes. Highly recommend you go check it out. And if you um, if you found some value in this, one thing I would ask you to do is to share this with other people. That's the literally the only way we promote the podcast. I probably do one post on Instagram, not even a post, just a story about the podcast once a month or once every couple of weeks. But the real way that we rely on the promotion of this is through people like you. So if you thought this was valuable and maybe you know somebody in your life who could benefit, I just want to encourage you to maybe share it with them. Let them know you were thinking about them. That's going to get you some friend points, but it's also going to really uh, provide them with a valuable resource that's going to make their life a lot better. Guys, much love to you. We would not do this if it weren't for you. Thank you for listening. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. It's Thea again. Thanks for listening to Unleash the Man Within. I wanted to take a quick moment to let you know about a free ebook that I wrote for you called The Ultimate Guide to Porn Recovery. It provides a basic framework for the recovery process and a few of my top tips completely free of charge. You can get it now at www.ultimaterecoveryguide.com. That's www.ultimaterecoveryguide.com. Now, if you've been impacted by the podcast and you want to show some support in less than 60 seconds, there are three ways you can do that. First, you can leave a rating or review on your podcast platform. This lets people like you know that the content here is valuable. Secondly, you can share this episode with someone in your life that might benefit from the content. If you're passionate about helping other people experience freedom and success in their lives, this is one of the easiest ways to do that. And lastly, you can subscribe. I personally only listen to the podcast that I subscribe to. If you're seeking daily encouragement, guidance and insight in your recovery journey i highly recommend subscribing to unleash the man within thanks for listening i look forward to connecting with you very very soon the information opinions and recommendations presented in this podcast by sathya sam and his guests are for general information only and should not be considered medical clinical or any other form of professional advice any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk